Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Industry Focus. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. Find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. Get $50 off your first job post at linkedin.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, December 12th, and we're discussing the Boeing 737 MAX. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Motley Fool contributor Lou Whiteman via Skype. How's it going, Lou? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, we're headed to the end of the uh, of the decade, which it seems so crazy to talk about. Uh, and uh, one of these stories that, uh, you know, really has defined this past year, also the end of the year too, I guess, uh, ha- has been uh, this Boeing 737 MAX story. I remember October of last year, we had this first first uh, uh, plane crash, and maybe folks, folks didn't uh, think about it. This is Lion Air Flight 610. Uh, but then in March, uh, there was a second uh, plane crash, and then that this this aircraft, the 737 Max, has been been grounded ever since then. Lou, can you kind of uh, what has happened with this story, and what what is what what should investors know about uh, the 737 Max today? I guess how we got here. Well, how we got here. So the 737 Max was a reboot on a classic design, and in part, and we can get into some of the the reasons behind it. But to save money. Uh, Boeing felt a need. They wanted to make the aircraft, uh, give it a longer range, make it a more powerful aircraft, but keep it within the 737 family so they wouldn't have to do a total redesign. That involved putting a new engine on it, a heavier engine, which in turn forced them to uh, move the engine forward, which it it was a cascading series of modifications that meant that with the with how powerful the engine is and where it was situated there was some concern that the engine would cause the airplane to drift up their answer to this was a called MCAS a system a part of autopilot that was designed to look for this and adjust back so pilots wouldn't have to be retrained again save money on on uh, certification costs unfortunately uh, from all the investigations, it looks like MCAS, basically, the, the, it, it, there are a lot of errors in the readings. There's a lot of false positives, and uh, these crashes seem to basically MCAS falsely reading the engines, um, forcing planes upwards, and so pointed down to stabilize, which had uh, catastrophic results. So, so that's where we are. We've halted deliveries, and uh, they're trying to figure out how to get it right, make sure this won't happen again. Yeah, it's it, this is one of those, you know, it reminds me a little bit of you, know, you think about the space shuttle maybe 30 years ago of you have this super complicated piece of machinery, uh lots of these moving parts and it ends up being something you know no one would ever think of uh that that, that causes an issue um and, and that's that's really what's happened here uh now uh you know just this week we've had a number of of kind of congressional hearings folks kind of pointing fingers at um at the you know the the process that was taken to approve this plane. Uh do we have any kind of Look through into you know how long this could persist. This investigation and uh, you know because I remember when this story first came out, we thought, hey, you know maybe that maybe this will be grounded for you know maybe a few weeks, maybe it'd be a blip on the radar. And here we are, you know, six months, you know, nine months later. Do we have any idea how much longer this this can kind of persist and what regulators' main concerns are uh, before this complaint can get back off the ground? Well, the investigation, they, the people will be writing papers about this for a decade. But uh, the, the big thing is, when can these planes get airborne again? Uh, the initial target was has come and gone. Boeing had hoped to do it by year end. Now they're saying early 2020. Uh, 
you know, it's definitely going to get into 2020 now for no other reason. The uh, European regulators take the holiday season off. Uh, what we are going to see is we need we need confidence in the software. We need testing of the final package. And then even after it's all certified again, I think you're going to see a very slow rollout. So, uh, yes, this is going to be a story well into 2020 as these planes, once they're finally airborne, return to service is going to be a slow, dragged out process. Yeah. And, you, you know, uh, one thing one thing that comes to mind, too, is we do have an election year coming up this year. This is something that is, you know, already we, we had these hearings this past week. It's a very, very easy uh, place to score some points when you're, uh, you know, get in. in uh, you know, this is a very high profile investigation. Uh, we've also seen, you know, relationships with Boeing and their customers, uh, you know, updated just this week. You know, Boeing reached a settlement uh, with Southwest. Uh, to, to handle some of those those portions of the grounding, uh, one other one other aspect uh, you know I, I saw in this deal talking about uh, pushing out the the, the new seven thirty seven Max is uh, a part of the, the the pricing they gave to Southwest and others was said hey we'll give you a, a million dollar rebate on these airplanes uh, on the condition that you don't have to do any any simulation training on these planes and now with this this investigation uh, there's going to have to be a lot of, a lot of, a lot of that uh, sort of, sort of thing on the pilots do we have any any uh, how are suppliers handling handling this uh, the, the, this this I guess grounding and then what the, the implications of it going forward? So yeah, so so let's look at suppliers and customers. Uh, Boeing made a decision early on. This is a very complex supply chain. There, the the notable uh, supplier, Spirit Aerosystems, out in the Midwest, makes the entire fuselage of the plane. Uh, Boeing decided we are going to continue manufacturing we because we want our supply chain to be healthy. The supply chain just can't easily shut down for six months a year and pick up uh, at a drop of a hat. So Boeing has continued to buy planes. Uh, a lot of the suppliers had been investing, assuming that production would ramp up. So there have been hits. Uh, but the good news is the supply chain is basically intact and has weathered a pretty well, the bad news from Boeing on that side is they've continued to manufacture these planes without delivering them. Uh, there's great pictures of Boeing now. They've run out of room to park these planes, so they're parking them in employee parking lots. Uh, there's a cost to all that. There's a cost just to keep them. You can't just park a car the way you uh, park a plane the way you park an old Buick out back and not think about it for six months. All of these are hooked up. They have their their batteries are going to have to be checked out. All the engine work. There is billions in expense just to get things up and running before you get to the customer side. And and as you say, with the customers, uh, a lot of major airlines, a lot of important customers, a lot of the companies that Boeing needs to keep a good relationship with, they have disrupted their schedules for a year now. Uh, there is going to be billions in compensation to these customers. And uh, Boeing really doesn't have a strong negotiating stance there because they want to keep good relations. So yeah, I mean, we're talking well into the next few years and billions and billions of dollars just in recovery costs from this, even though the supply chain and, and the production has continued through the grounding. Sure. All right. On the back half of the show, uh, you know, I guess one of the one of the first questions that folks might be thinking on, you know, about this Boeing relationship is, hey, why don't why don't these suppliers go go talk to Airbus or go talk to another company uh, to go find, uh, you know, alternative sources for, 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 for new airplanes? And I think on the back half of the show, we're going to try to put that into context, why the, the, the nature of the, the airline industry kind of limits that and why uh, how that things shake up, shape up for Boeing going forward, even after this 737 MAX issue is resolved. Uh, but first, urgency can be your enemy when it comes to finding candidates that are truly meant for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. 
LinkedIn job screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for, things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability. LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and puts your job first uh, in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. It's no wonder a person is hired every eight seconds with LinkedIn and why companies rape LinkedIn jobs, the number one platform for delivering quality hires. Visit linkedin.com slash fool to get $50 off your first job post. Again, that's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Lou, so so kind of the questions I, I left off on, on the, the first half of the show that I think a lot of people, you know, rightly think about when you think about the 730, ma- seven, excuse me, uh, the 737 MAX issue, these planes are grounded, these customers would like to grow their business uh, but don't have access to these planes, why don't they just go to Airbus? So why, why, what is... Limiting. What's the limiting factor of this of this business that kind of limits customers from from just jumping to another uh, supplier? Business has been too good, and uh, Boeing, uh, Boeing and Airbus A versus B, and it's been that way for a long time. Uh, Boeing's got a five thousand plane backlog, uh, four hundred billion dollars. Much of that is the seven thirty seven, upwards of three quarters of it. But uh, if you if you go across to uh, Airbus, their backlog is even bigger. And it's dominated by orders for the A320 family, which is uh, the 737 MAX's only real competition. An uh, airline right now, if they wanted new from Airbus, it, it, those slots are taken well into the next few years. Uh, there just isn't a easy, obvious choice where, to heck with Boeing, we want to go elsewhere. Uh, th- 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 there isn't sort of that sort of supply out there right now. Yeah, get in line is is the answer. You know, these are super yeah. complicated machines that take years and years to make. You know, you think about uh, the Navy when you talk about buying new ships; it takes a long period of time to make these new things. And airlines are, are just as, uh, you know, maybe not quite as large as that, but just as significant when it comes to to laying, laying things out. When you talk about demand, uh, too, I pulled some numbers this morning. The International Air Transport Association reported that you had four point four billion passengers uh, that took flight in two thousand eighteen. They're expecting that to double uh, by twenty thirty seven. So over the next twenty years. Uh, it's a three and a half percent growth every single year. Uh, you know, Boeing expects uh, I think it's eight point seven uh, trillion. I think mar- you know market opportunity over the next ten years. So so really uh, really significant. The four four hundred seventy billion dollar backlog, uh, as you mm-hmm. mentioned. So uh, when it when it comes to demand going forward in this industry, uh, there's you know replacement demand here in the U.S. There's also growth overseas. How how are the dynamics shaking out there when it comes to demand for the for these big airlines? Yeah. But- yeah, as you say, a lot of it, a lot of it in the developed world, the Western world, is replacement. We're talking two, three percent growth a year, uh, but in China, China makes up a huge portion of uh, both Bo- of Boeing's air, uh, backlog and uh, Airbus as well. Uh, I think Boeing expects forty-four thousand global deliveries in the next twenty years. Um, says air traffic uh, will grow, I think, uh, will, will be two and a half times larger in 20 years, and the global fleet will, fleet will dr- double in size. Most of that is Asia-Pacific. Asia-Pacific is half of total demand over the next 20 years. Um, so, yeah, we're seeing replacements. We're seeing fuel economy issues in in, in the Western world. But uh, Asia-Pacific, China in particular, that is where the growth is, and there is just so much demand. They're going to take uh, take whatever orders are available, even if some of these Western companies were to slow their growth. Yeah, so, so when you look at China, um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, China has been trying to make some investments in developing their own kind of domestic uh, major airline uh, uh, manufacturers. Mm-hmm. How does that play into uh, the Boeing Airbus duopoly and just demand going forward in the industry? 
Well, COMAC, they call it, a commercial aircraft co. And yes, they are trying to develop a 737 A320 derivative. And it, it's not to say it can't happen, but just to kind of give some context of what this requires. Uh, the Boeing 787 Dreamliner, which was a, a, a fresh design, uh, 30 billion plus in development costs for that. And that includes getting the supply chain up and running, getting the toolings. Uh, even the 737 MAX, which as we said, was, was a derivative design from a design that's been around for 30 years, is two, three billion dollars in development costs there, including new engines. Uh, China, nature of the economy, if they want to, or nature of the government, if they want to swallow that, they can. But it is a slow process. It is an expensive process. There's a reason this duopoly is held up. And then if you're talking about China, I think uh, forever, whatever you want to say about Boeing and the FAA and the way they've handled this, I think there is going to be some skepticism, at least at first, uh, in a lot of the developed world from buying an aircraft from China. There's going to be a credibility ramp there. Uh, there is no overnight solution here. Uh, there's there's plenty of other companies that are trying, especially at the bottom end, to get involved. But there is it, most of this capacity, most of this demand is going to get soaked up by Airbus and Boeing throughout the 2020s into the 2030s. Yeah, I think uh, to your point, these are, you know, as we mentioned earlier, these are incredibly complicated uh, uh, machines, which requires a, you know, a huge amount of capital just to just to get involved. And then to your point as well, uh, the regulatory landscape these businesses play in is really robust and difficult to navigate. I expect it will become a little bit more difficult to navigate, even more so with this this latest 737 Max uh, issue. Uh, you know, lots of criticism of, of kind of the regulatory hoops that folks had to jump through there. So, you know, putting that into context of, you know, th this is an issue that's going to weigh on Boeing in the near term. We don't know how long uh, this is going to persist until until these planes can start being delivered. Um, but the, the nature of this industry is such that it's really difficult to foresee a, a significant challenger to Boeing. Uh, what is your view on the kind of the stock going forward and how you need to think about investing in this company today, you know, going forward? Mm -hmm. I'm of. I'll admit I'm of two minds here. I I respect the portfolio of Boeing. It is a powerhouse company, and I I can't imagine for all of the mistakes they've made, and they have made a ton of mistakes this year dealing with the 737 Max. And it's uh, there's been a lot of just embarrassing ugliness that has come out of just the processes that went into it. Uh, this has not been a good year for Boeing, for Boeing's management, for the credibility of the company. That said, this is a massive company. It's a massive order book. I do believe they get this right. They have a defense, uh, a defense business that a couple of years ago uh, was taking a lot of criticism, but seems to be on a rebound. I believe that a current investor now in Boeing will make money over time. That said, with everything going on and with, honestly, with the credibility issues I think that this management team has right now through this handling, I, I management matters to me. And I can't buy Bo into Boeing right now with my money, even though I do believe over time the stock is likely to go up, just because I want to see management get this right. And all over the portfolio, I want to see them restore my belief that they have a handle on this huge portfolio, that they know what's going on in it and they can manage it well. And uh, I would caution others to do the same. I, I, I think it's a good company. It's it, They've got good products. But I just, I'm, 
I'm, I'm, I, I can't buy into a company if I don't trust a management. And right now, I don't think management has earned our trust. Yeah, I think it's, I, particularly throughout this, uh, you know, what we've seen in the last year with this with the Max, I think it'd be fair to say that the, the communication between invest, you know, uh, management and investors about you know the true state of what these problems are, uh, you know, has been much less transparent than you would like to see. They do have an incredible hand before them, as we mentioned. It's it's hard it's hard to hard to figure out how you have the hand that that, that this this business is dealt, and you don't you know make money over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. to, to your point, I think you're investing in spite of the management team, not because of the management team today. Right, right. And uh, the, the 737 Max is is definitely the most catastrophic issue they've had. But all over the portfolio, uh, the KC-46 is a is the refueling tanker for the Air Force. Uh, this program dates back 15, 20 years. Uh, the bidding was so controversial that uh, Boeing's former CFO ended up in jail over it. Uh, but they did win the contract. It's been two or three billion over uh, in, in cost because of uh, they haven't been able to stay on schedule. They finally delivered in January, and the Air Force had to ground the planes because uh, Boeing had failed to get the debris and some of the tools out of it before they delivered them. Uh, that's just one other example, and there's others. This is a company that almost seems uh, you almost worry it's too big to manage, as is right now, or or at least it's too big. It, it hasn't been managed correctly, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's a powerful company. It's a great portfolio, but just investors beware. There's there's when things like this happen, they happen for a reason, and um, and you, you just you need that on your radar along with the potential. I think. Yeah, something to definitely be mindful of uh, going forward. Uh, Lou, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on Boeing. I do want to give you give one kind of uh, thought from you going away. This is probably the last time you'll be on the show here uh, in 2019. We're going out to 2020. Uh, we mentioned it's kind of the end of the decade. Uh, as we go into 2020, uh, what what kind of company are you most excited about, or what story are you most excited to follow here in this next year? Well, I, I, I spend a lot of time looking at the defense industry, and uh, election years are always interesting for the defense industry. Uh, I I think it's going to it, it, we've had a good run the last few years, uh, and I don't think we'll hopefully go back to sequestration and some of the issues from the early part of uh, the this current almost over decade. But I do I, I, I do wonder if some of these traditional defense firms, if if this is the best it's going to be and, and how we're going to sort between uh, companies in the next few years, because they've had a really good run. And it feels like, depending on how this election goes, uh, the times could be changing for the Pentagon and for the contractors. So uh, I'll be watching that close and see how that plays out. Well, I'm sure we'll have you on sometime in the next year or so to uh, discuss that as we get more information. And uh, thanks for coming on, Lou, as always. Thank you. It's a pleasure. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Dan Boyd for his work behind the glass. For Lou Whiteman, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.